morning, Southbridge. What does Christmas mean to you? Merry Christmas. We're glad that you're here. Um, hopefully, I'm not the first person to tell you Merry Christmas, but uh, we are grateful to be able to share this time of year with you. And it means a lot of things to a lot of different people. And uh, each one of you that comes through the door today maybe have a different thought of what's going to happen in this next month or maybe what Christmas means to you, family decorations, parties, being here together as a church family and celebrating the birth of Jesus and different parts. And whatever that is to you at this point, I just want to say hello, welcome, thank you so much for coming and uh, being a part of what, what God's doing here and allowing to, us to share some of your Christmas season with you. And if you're a first-time guest with us here today, or maybe you haven't been around for a long time, if you wouldn't mind just in your worship program, there's a connection card in there. If you fill that out, we have a Christmas present that we'd love to give you. Just fill that card out. Take it out to what we call the first-time guest kiosk. It's on your way out the doors on your left as you're going out the front door. And uh, we want to give you a gift and some information about the church. And we're just grateful that you decided to come and be with us. And while well, the rest of you are looking through uh, your worship program as well, there's some important things to point out. One thing I'll mention to you is that on Christmas Sunday, Christmas falls on a Sunday this year, we're not going to have services that Sunday. All right, no applause. <laughs> that was good. Uh, but at any rate, we're going to not have a Christmas Day service. Instead, we're going to have a Christmas Eve, a special service on Christmas Eve, and it's not here at the movie theater. So look at your worship program. It'll give you an address for that, and it will be at a different location. And uh, we're actually going to have a special offering at that time, too. We're going to take the money that we would have spent running the movie theater that morning on Sunday. We're going to put that in that offering, and we're going to give all of the money away that's given on our Christmas Eve offering. So any money that you give, um, drop in the box or whatever we do at that service, uh, 100% of that will be given away to three different C's. One, care for orphans. Two, reaching out our community, so our community outreach. And uh, three, for church planting. And so we're going to be giving the 100% of that offering away. Just keep that in mind as you consider what you would give on that Christmas Eve night. And uh, we're going to start a new series today. So I'm going to pray for us, and uh, we're going to jump into God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence, and uh, we're grateful that we can boldly and confidently do that because of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending your Son. Now, what an amazing idea by you, what an amazing gift by you to give us your son, Jesus Christ. That your story in our lives of redemption would happen through the birth of a baby. And that baby would be human and divine. How amazing is that, God? We are so grateful that your son, Jesus Christ, was born into this earth and lived a perfect life and then died for our sins and gives us life. And God, we want everyone to know that. We want everyone to receive that gift. And God, I pray you'd make us, as those that know you, conscious of the people that need to receive that still. And I pray... Uh, for those that know you, that we continually be grateful for what you've done through the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray for any that don't know your son, Jesus, today, that will hear these words, that today would be the day they'd begin a relationship with you. And Father, I pray that you'd speak to us, have a word for us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, it is officially December, if you haven't been paying attention, and uh, I've got bad news for you. It only gets busier from here. Okay, things are going to happen over these next several weeks. It's gonna, you're going to think to yourself, what in the world? And some of you are planning for it ahead uh, already. You've got your list of events you need to go to, maybe service projects. Maybe you can go to the Raleigh Rescue Mission and feed some people. Maybe you've got an event that you go to. Maybe you see Christmas lights, somebody light a Christmas tree, things you do with your family, things you do with your friends, coworkers, things to buy. You've got all kinds of items that you'll go out and buy. And you're going to get all these catalogs in the mail over the next several days. They're going to be crying out, buy me, buy this, get this. And then you've got things that you'll receive and all kinds of stuff that'll happen. It can be overwhelming with all you have to do. Now, if you're anything like me, what you'll probably do is you'll come up with a to-do list with the events and the things you do, the task and all that stuff, and you cross things off as you go through the list. You ever miss anything on the list? I, I mean, even if you have written down a list, you ever miss something? I was thinking about just my nature. I miss stuff all the time. 
I do things as simple as misspell words. If you've ever received an email from me, Tay instead of the, it means the, just so you know. I misspell words. I'll miss things. I'll lose my keys sometimes. We run them late for an appointment. It seems like it's always then that I misplace my keys. So I misplace stuff. I misspell stuff. I'll just overlook stuff. I'll be following directions and I'll miss a turn. I, I miss things regularly, but I like to think to myself that I, I wouldn't miss like the big stuff. I just miss like little things. You don't miss the big things, right? And I was talking to a, a friend of mine. He's actually a pastor of mine. At one point in my life, he was the first pastor that ever believed in me enough to actually hire me on his staff. <laughs> what a crazy dude. And uh, what happened was I actually was just coming out of Bible college and studied the Bible, and this guy decided to hire me as his youth pastor, and I didn't have any idea how to be a youth pastor. Okay, I don't know how many of you know how to be a pastor or not, uh, but I knew some stuff about the Bible, but I didn't know what pastors did. Okay, I, I knew that they had Sunday. Like Sunday's game day for pastors, right? Like everybody knows what they do on Sunday. There's all kinds of people and shaking hands and praying for people and hearing burdens and hearing praises and you know hopefully leading people to Jesus. Sometimes you preach and teach and do different stuff like that, and then it's kind of like the big day. But what does a pastor do on Monday? Huh. You ever think about that? Like what, what am I going to do? I only exist to you in this context, right? But what am I going to do when I go to my office on Monday? And I didn't know as a youth pastor. And we had just had church on Sunday, and then Monday came. And I remember I filled out all the paperwork to like be a real youth pastor, like life insurance and all that kind of stuff. And, and I get that all done, and then I sat in my office and thought, now what do I do? Well, I'm a pastor to youth just by title. I've got that job description. And so I started calling senior hires, junior hires, invited them to come to church on Wednesday night. So we had Wednesday night youth group. And now we've got like these segue days, though. Like, what do I do on Monday and Tuesday? Because Sunday's game day, and then we've got Wednesday. And, and what do I do? It's trying to figure this out. And so you spend time with people, and you study your Bible, and you do these different things. And I remember learning all this through experience. And I was telling the first service, one of my first experiences at the church was I came in and they wanted me to go visit a student at his home because the parents had called and requested their pastor come and visit this student. The request was, we think our son is demon-possessed. Can you send a pastor? I'm like, I'm a rookie. You know, this is big league stuff. Can I get like a broken leg visitation or something? You know, demon possession? What are you talking about? I'm learning all this stuff by experience. It's kind of baptism by fire. One of the things you learn by experience is when you're a pastor, Sunday mornings, you're usually one of the last people to leave. And you go through the building, kind of turn the lights off, make sure that doors are locked, and people leave stuff at church. It just happens. Some of you will probably do this. You'll leave a coffee mug, you'll leave a jacket, you'll leave a scarf, you'll leave your Bible. Something will get left. And so this is kind of normal. I was talking to my pastor friend, and we were kind of laughing about, do you remember the time I I said to him, when I went up to the church and I was the last one to leave, now, I was, out, I was walking towards my car, and I decided I don't know if I was going to go lock the door or what, but I walked back to the door where I always left, and you know what I found? Somebody left something. It wasn't a Bible, it wasn't a scarf, it wasn't any of that kind of stuff. It was a child. <laughs> it was an eight-year-old boy named Jonathan, came running to the door, Pastor Scott, Pastor Scott. It was the pastor's son. See, now at that point, I didn't have any idea what it was like to be a senior pastor or to have kids or any of that stuff, but I thought to myself, you can leave a Bible, you can leave a jacket, but a kid, like a whole person you left at church? So I say, hey, Jonathan, go get my car, you got my car, and the pastor lived right around the corner, so I drive him to his driveway, I go up to the door, knock on the door, he comes out. He still hadn't realized that he left his son at church. <laughs> anyway, he told me I could share this. I knock on the door, he comes out, and he sa- I said, do you think you left anything at church today, Pastor? And he sa- said something into his wife, and I said, like your son? You know, bring him out, and he's like, oh, I can't believe this happened. And to me, I'm looking at this like, how could you do that? Like, I'm sure he was doing a bunch of good stuff. He preached a message that day. Some people had good stuff to say about us. Some people had bad stuff to say about us. Maybe he led someone to Jesus, was praying with people. Somebody found out they got cancer, praying with their burdens, all that kind of stuff, I'm sure, but your son? <laughs> really? And I think about it, isn't that really easy to miss the things that really matter? Especially with all the other good stuff that's going on. And you think about this time of year, and just in life in general, 
This time of year, we're going to get catalogs just filling our mailboxes because we're all going to go shopping. We're going to buy something for somebody, and they want us to buy their stuff. There's these voices crying out for us. There'll be television commercials. There'll be parties. There'll be Christmas tree lightings. There'll be sleigh rides. There'll be all kinds of stuff that you'll do. It's not even that that stuff is bad. But what if in all that stuff you miss what really matters? Wouldn't it be tragic this time of year? But you know what would be more tragic? It would be more tragic if we actually lived our entire lives that way. Doing good stuff. I mean, serving food at the Raleigh Rescue Mission and going to church and, and going to these family get-togethers and coworker get-togethers and giving presents and receiving presents and, and lived life. And it was lots of good stuff, but you missed what truly mattered. So a lot of people say that we live in a consumer culture because we have so many options and so many things out there that we can have, that we can consume. And we're doing this series called Consumed. Let me tell you something. I'm not going to say that consumption is bad. Because consumption is actually required for survival. Like you probably consumed some breakfast this morning or you'll consume some lunch later today. And there are things that we have to consume. And my question is, with all the things in our culture, are we the ones actually being consumed? Like something consumed your life last week. What was it? Something consumes your thoughts, the things you think about. Something consumes your time. Something consumes your money. Something consumes your affections, your attention. Something ultimately consumes your life. The question is, what is it? And what if it's not what truly matters? Wouldn't that be tragic? And so today we're going to talk about being consumed with what truly matters. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews, if you have a Bible, it's towards the back of the New Testament. If you get to the book of James, you've gone too far. The Peters and the Johns and Revelation, that's a little bit too far, so go back to the left. Hebrews, it's an interesting book. It's actually, many people believe it's a sermon, it's being preached by this guy, and no one knows exactly for sure who the author of Hebrews is, but it's being preached by this guy, and the, and the sermon, I don't know, what would you title it? <laughs> Hebrews, maybe? But you could title it many other things. I think you could title it What Really Matters. The theme through the book is better things. The, the Greek word for better or superior is used 15 times. And he's preaching to an audience. He knows his audience. They know the Old Testament really well. They know the Old Testament sacrificial system, and he preaches to them, there's a better sacrifice. It's Jesus Christ. They know how it is, what they have to go through in the process in order to approach God, and how there's like one guy who gets to do it once a year, and he's saying, now you can boldly approach the throne of grace. There's a new way, a better, superior way to approach God. It's through Jesus Christ. You know what it is to have a high priest? There's a better high priest. His name is Jesus Christ. He's talking about better things, and the better, superior thing is Jesus. And by the time we get to the point in the book that we're at today, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 25. He's talking about the application of this sermon. He shared a bunch of stories in Hebrews chapter 11 of people that walk by faith. Guys like Noah, Abraham, Moses, you name it. There's a list of people that walked by faith and the challenges for us to then take the same kind of steps of faith. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, he starts to speak to us about God speaking to us. And he starts off with some famous verses in verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all those people in Hebrews chapter 11 probably, and all the people in our lives, let us throw off everything that hinders Good stuff even. And sin, and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Because it's not going to be the exact same as it was for Abraham or Moses, but God's got a plan for you and for me. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the superior one, the better one, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That was the race marked out before him, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then it goes on to talk through how God uses circumstances sometimes to refine us and discipline in our lives because he loves us. And there was a verse that stuck out to me when I first started studying this passage. It's verse 15. 
Verse 15 says, see to it that no one, see to it that no one misses God's grace. Because what will happen when you miss God's grace is that a root of bitterness takes place in your heart and you start to cause division in the entire body. So see to it that no one does that. And then this preacher, this pastor, before he gets to the passage we look at today, he paints two word pictures of two different places. One, Mount Sinai, which that's great for us because we just read about Mount Sinai when we were doing the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. So one's of Mount Sinai. The other one is a word picture of Mount Zion. But the important part here is not the geography of Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, but the atmosphere. And the atmosphere was two different places that God speaks. One is a place of terror. Do you remember that from Exodus chapter 19? There's thunder and lightning and trumpet sounding and fire and smoke. And if you go to the mountain and touch it, you'll die. And if an animal goes to the mountain and touches it, it'll die. And and the pastor here says, you don't come to a mountain like that. You come to a mountain like Mount Zion, where thousands upon thousands of angels are gathered and praising his name. Where the blood of Jesus Christ cries out to you. And do you know what the blood of Jesus cries out? It's not the same as the blood of Abel, verse 24, if you want to read the context. The blood of Abel cries out condemnation, guilt, someone must pay. Do you know what the blood of Jesus cries out? Someone paid. Love, grace, mercy, relationship, forgiveness, opportunity for a race marked out before you. And then the pastor says this in verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, that's Mount Sinai, How much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? That's us. At that time, his voice shook the earth, Mount Sinai, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. That's eternal things. And then here's your application. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, Here's why. For our God is a consuming fire. So today we talk about what truly matters. The question has to be then, what truly matters? You know what? God wants to speak to you. You know what truly matters? The word that God offers us truly matters. The word that God offers us is what really matters. And just think about that for a second. God wants to speak to you. And he wants to speak to me. Not just he wanted to speak to somebody a long time ago. Not just he wants you to know what he said to someone else. He wants to speak to you. But will we miss it? Not even because we're trying to ignore him. Not because we don't like him. Not because we know that. Do we just miss it because we're busy? We're distracted? Hundreds of catalogs will fill your mailbox. They're crying out for you. The commercials will come. They're crying out for you. All the objects will happen and everybody will be busy and somebody will want you to come to a thing and those friends things, there's coworker things and maybe you're not even by friends and family anymore but you've got to call back and there's cards to buy and there's all this stuff that will happen. What if we miss it? So easy. In fact, I think about my own life and what will inevitably happen this Christmas year. Maybe it won't because I talked about it, but, but what happens at our house a lot of times is I'll come into the house and I'll just have thought, now it's time to relax. Like, we're not going to do anything, done with work or whatever it is. And my wife will say, Scott, you've got to get ready. We're going to so-and-so's house for such-and-such event. And I'll look at her like she's growing an extra head, okay? It's like, what are you talking about? Like, we're not going to, it's not even that I don't like so-and-so or don't want to do such-and-such. I've just never heard this before. And then she says back to me, we've talked about this. <laughs> oh, you've had this experience too. You know what I'm talking about. And so she'll say, we talked about this. And I have, I have no recollection of this conversation ever. And you know what? She's probably right. We probably did talk about this. 
My mind was probably on cruise control. It's just in neutral, and she's talking to me, and I'm probably even, as a human being, interacted. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. You know, I'm checking the mail, or you know, I'm thinking about what the kids just said, or something happened in the news, or something happened at work, or the next thing I want to do, and there's something. I'm distracted. We had a conversation. She spoke, but I didn't really hear it. I wasn't really listening. Now, somehow, I've got some kind of gear in my mind where I'm still able to, like, autopilot, interact, but I, I don't remember any of this happening. What if we do that with God? See, the author of Hebrews is warning us not to do that. Verse 25, see to it, it's warning language, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Notice that verse does not say him who has spoken, past tense. It doesn't say him who will speak, like someday, maybe, when Jesus comes back, he'll speak. It's present tense. It's a present active participle there that actually says him who is speaking, is currently speaking to you. He is speaking now. Now, most of us might think, yeah, God spoke, like back at Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments and people were terrified and all that kind of stuff. Or God spoke to guys like Moses or he speaks to guys like Daniel or David or Samuel or whoever, the Old Testament prophets, Malachi, Malachi, all these different guys. We just think he's, he's spoken to these guys. Maybe he spoke, he spoke to Jesus and my son whom I love, you know, all that kind of stuff. But that was probably the last time. Now, he's not speaking now and certainly not speaking to me. The author of Hebrews says that he is that he's now speaking. Listen to him who is speaking. And it's interesting because at this point in this sermon that's being preached here from Hebrews, we're in chapter 12. So guess what? He's bringing this puppy home. He's landing the plane. It's time for application. You want to make sure people hear what you have to say? Say it at the beginning. He makes sure he says in the beginning of his message, the first 30 seconds, look at what he says in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But... In these last days, now, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. John chapter 1 tells us the word became flesh. It's Jesus Christ. He is the word who comes to speak to us. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24, it says blood cries out to us. He's speaking to us and he speaks here and he speaks now and he's speaking to you. Do you want to listen? And many of us would think if Jesus was speaking to me, of course I want to hear what Jesus has to say to me. And we're in great company because you see this throughout Scripture. People want to hear from Jesus, all kinds of people from all different walks of life. Do you remember the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 19? Here's a guy. This guy has it all together. He looks good. He's got money. He's religious. He's moral. He goes to, she probably grew up going to church, has gone to church. He does what the pastor says to do, and he's probably like a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader, and serves and does all kinds of stuff, but there's still an emptiness in his life. And he's successful. And he's moral. There's something missing. Is that you? Ever feel that way? Like you should have it all together and you should, this peace shouldn't be lacking, right? Well, that's how this guy feels. And he goes running to Jesus because he hears about this Jesus guy who's different. He teaches with different authority than the rabbis and different people. And so he goes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says some of the Ten Commandments. He says, well, keep these commandments. Oh, yeah, I've done that. I'm a moral guy. I'm not breaking those commandments. And then Jesus says, all right, get rid of everything that hinders you from following me. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Throw off everything that hinders, the sin that so easily entangles. And you know what the guy says? He doesn't. He doesn't say a word. He walks away sad, and we never hear from him again. But he was so eager to hear from Jesus. 
well, maybe that guy's problem is he's so materialistic and he doesn't want to give up that stuff, and so he's different than us. And maybe, maybe if anybody wanted to hear from Jesus, the religious people, right? And you see people that were religious, they really wanted to hear from Jesus. You see a guy named Nicodemus, he's a religious leader, he's the teacher of Israel, and he sneaks off to come and hear from Jesus at nighttime because he wants to hear from this teacher. And then you hear sometimes from the Pharisees, the scribes, they give Jesus questions. Sometimes they're trying to trap him, but sometimes you sense from them that they really want to know the answer. What's the greatest commandment? What must I do? What did, you, what did your father say? And they want to hear this stuff, right? But then he tells them the truth, and they want to kill him. Why? Because they don't want to change. They don't want their lives to change. They don't want their system to change. They don't want church to change. They don't want their traditions to change. And most of us, we don't like change, do we? And so what if he speaks something that's what we don't like? But we want to hear, but then do we want to hear? Or maybe we're not like the super religious people. Maybe we're not like the real rich people. Maybe we're kind of in like the middle, like the middle class America we classify ourselves as. And be like the crowds. And the crowds come to Jesus. They love Jesus. Remember in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 and they want to make him king. They're treating Jesus like he's a rock star, like you too is here and we're super excited about it. And they were consumers too, just like us. And he's done what they want him to do. They came to consume something. They came to get something and God gives you what you want. I mean, who wouldn't love a God who does that? And so they're excited about Jesus at this point. They want to make him king by force. Jesus is king of kings, but he doesn't want to be the kind of king that they expect him to be. And so he kind of wanders off, goes in the mountains and prays, and they're all looking for him, and they can't find him because he went on a stroll across this lake, and he goes to this other side of the lake, and then they all show up, and they're like trying to track him down. They're so eager to hear from Jesus, and he preaches a sermon to them now. I'm the bread of life. <laughs> Jackpot. We're getting another meal. I'd like a number two, please. You know, they're ordering. They're, they're ready for this meal that's going to come, but what he says to them is this. When I say that I'm the bread of life, I'm saying I sustain your life. See, physical bread sustains us physically. And Jesus was saying that he would sustain them spiritually. And then he gives a very hard teaching. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Was Jesus endorsing cannibalism there? No, is the answer. And he wasn't talking about communion either. That hadn't even happened yet. What he was saying was this, unless you receive me, I become part of you. Unless you have what truly sustains life, you have no part in me. And you know what? That was a hard teaching. And thousands of people walked away that day. Can you just picture Jesus? He's standing at this mountain, and probably for the acoustic sake, they're up this mountain, and, and he says these words, and it's the truth, and they were longing for Jesus. They were tracking him down, not going to work that day, doing all this stuff to follow Jesus around, and then he says these words, and they all just start departing. <laughs> First church split in history. You know, They all just start leaving. And then Jesus turns to his boys, Nathaniel and Philip and Bartholomew, all these guys, John. What about you guys? Are you going to leave too? And then Peter speaks up. <laughs> Can't wait for this, can you? If you know anything about Peter, he's pretty famous for his quotes. <laughs> Peter says some pretty stupid things throughout Scripture. Do you know what Peter says next? Peter says, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter didn't figure this stuff out. He didn't know anything that the crowd didn't know. He didn't understand what this was going to mean for his life. He didn't, he didn't have it all figured out, but he's just saying, where else are we going to go? We want a word. You have the words to sustain life. Somebody consumed with what you have to say. He's going to walk by faith. He'll get rid of whatever he has to get rid of in order to walk by faith, to be able to hear from Jesus because that's what really matters. The author of Hebrews is telling us this, and he's saying, see to it, be careful. The New Living Translation says it this way in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who's speaking. Be careful 
It's warning language. And we're used to warnings in our culture, aren't we? There's all kinds of warning labels out there, probably because we live in such a lawsuit-happy culture. We're suing people all the time. Somebody's suing a company, your coffee's too hot, all that kind of stuff. We've got warnings on everything. <laughs> I read this week of a warning on a hairdryer that says, not for use in shower. <laughs> My thought was, the person who needs to read that label probably can't read. Like, they're, 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 Why would you need that label? Uh, one warning said this, that it was about hair coloring, said not to be used as food coloring. <laughs> Somebody must have tried that, baby. And the cake, you know, get the frosting. We want pink frosting, and all I have is pink hair dye. And so I don't know what they did, but I think about this stuff. And, and there's warnings out there. Why are there so many warnings? Warnings are just a part of our natural lives. Have you ever heard this before, where there's smoke, there's fire? Smoke is a warning to us. I've told some of you before that I burn stuff out in my backyard, live outside the city limits. Please don't send me any emails. It's not illegal. And I burn stuff out in my backyard. And what had happened is uh, I had gotten a couple piles of stuff. My fire pit wasn't a pit. It was fire piles. Uh, we had a tree that got struck by lightning in our backyard, and a buddy from church came over and chopped it all up. It was just kind of laying there, plus yard waste and leaves and all this stuff. And so I learned to go out there and pour gasoline on it when it's not on fire, unlike last time. And uh, I poured gasoline all over this deal, let it sit for a day. Came out next day, I'm going to start this fire. You know, it's awesome. It's just burning. I'm thinking consuming fire illustrations. This will be amazing. And stuff, you just toss it in there, and it goes away. The fire's burning for a while. It starts to get dark outside. You know, it gets dark a little early now, <laughs> around noon here in North Carolina. But anyway, uh, I'm watching it. It's about 5 o'clock at night, and uh, the fire's starting to kind of go down. And I decided to go inside, eat dinner, and I do a bunch of stuff to put the fire out. Like, I'm messing with it with the shovel. I'm dumping buckets of water on it. I have the hose out there. I'm just spraying this thing. It was like every time I stopped, I'd look back, and there'd be steam coming off of it. And I'd think, I've got to teach my kids where there's smoke, there's fire. They're not out there. They're inside eating dinner. And I'm in there, you know, messing with the fire, trying to put it out, dump buckets of water on it. Finally, it's dark outside. I'm like, it's good. I've put so much water on this thing. There's no way there's a fire there. Go inside, eat dinner with the family, go to bed that night, put the kids to bed, go to bed. All that stuff. Wake up the next morning, come walking through the breakfast nook. Like, we've gotten ready for the morning. Everything's great. And my four-year-old daughter standing on a chair looking out to the backyard, and she's like, Daddy, the campfire! What about it? And I look out there. It's on fire. There's smoke. It's about 15 hours later, and there's smoke billowing up from this fire, and it's still going out there. And so I go outside, and I'm going to put this thing out before my neighbors see what's going on here. And, and I come out. The guy across the street comes out. And he says, Scott, you burning something in the backyard? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm burning something in the backyard. I'll put it out right now. <laughs> I didn't tell him I started the fire 15 hours ago. But I, mean, I went out there, put this thing out, and the smoke it was a warning to me. I, what about I left for work that they burned our whole neighborhood down? <laughs> I've been in the paper, great advertisement for the church, right? But anyway, it was a warning. Why are we given warnings? I think sometimes we think when God gives us a warning, it's like the bully on the playground who draws a line in the sand and says, don't cross this line or else. God gives us a warning to protect us. He gives us warnings out of love and out of grace because he's got something for us. What if God has something so special for you and he's saying, be careful not to miss it. See to it that you do not refuse to listen to him who is speaking, and he's speaking to you. He's got something to say to you this Christmas, this time of year, right now. And he wants to point you to something better, something that really matters, something superior. Of course we listen, right? But what you see is through the scriptures over and over again, people there seem eager, and then they refuse. The Israelites, you don't have to go very far, you just look in our context in Hebrews chapter 12. They don't listen. They get the Ten Commandments. We did a whole series on the Ten Commandments. Do you know what happens after the last commandment, the Tenth Commandment? It's not the Eleventh Commandment, just as a hint. What happens in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 18 is they're terrified. The thunder, the lightning, all that stuff, they're terrified. But you know what they say to Moses? They say, you speak to us. We don't want to hear from God. 
Why is that? The author of Hebrews tells us. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 19 talks about, kind of sets up the context. You know, I'm not just pulling this out of nowhere. There's a trumpet blast and there's a voice speaking, words that they heard, and they begged no further to be spoken to them. Then verse 20 says, why? Because they could not bear what was commanded. Those Ten Commandments, real basic things that are told to us, the elementary re- revealing of God to the world, said so we can't handle that. So we don't want to hear from God anymore. What if it's possible that maybe subconsciously or unconsciously what we do is we busy ourselves so much that we don't have to listen to God? And I'm saying we, we would say to ourselves that we don't want to hear from God, but maybe what we do is we get ourselves so busy that we don't have to hear from God because he might say something we don't want to hear. We might be afraid to hear from him. He might tell us something we, we want to be the exact opposite. So what if that's why we get so busy? And it's really because we don't want to deal with what he's saying. And you look at our society, you get people everywhere that they don't even want to be alone with their own thoughts, much less with what God has to say to them. And just watch. You just do a little sociology study yourself. We go to the mall this year, Walmart. And how many people have iPods on? Because <laughs> they, they don't want to be alone with themselves. You have thousands of people around. They don't want to be alone. Or you always have the TV on when you're at home. Or you can't stand in line without checking your phone. Or you get in the car. You can never be in the car without having the music on. There's always got to be noise, right? And we think, well, we're listening because there's always noise. No, we're drowning out other stuff. And some of us, we're drowning out. We don't even want to be alone with ourselves. Much less to have God speak to us. Maybe that's what's happening. What if that's what's happening? And all that good stuff, serving meals at the Rally Rescue Mission, going to church, listening to sermons, listening to music, going to the Christmas parties, doing all those things are the very things that stop us from actually experiencing what truly matters. See, the Bible tells us to be slow to speak and quick to listen, but who does that? And who really listens well? And what if God's speaking? And he has something to say to you. And that something could totally transform your life. See, the author of Hebrews, he goes on to tell us the type of thing that he's saying to us. There's a warning not to miss it. See to it, or as the New Living Translation said, be careful that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape, when they refused him who warned them on earth at Mount Sinai, and they died in the wilderness because they didn't listen. How much less will we, if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven, how much more revelation do we have They were living the second book of the Bible. We're reading towards the end of the New Testament. How much more will we be in trouble if we don't pay attention? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he's promised, and he quotes from Haggai chapter 2 here, once more I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That's created things. There's going to come a time where all this stuff that we long for, all the circumstances we want fixed, all the devices we want to buy, all the relationships we hope to have, all those circumstances will be shaken. All the stuff's created stuff. It's all going to be gone. And the reason why is so that what cannot be shaken may remain, the eternal stuff, the stuff that when we make an investment for eternity, it gets stored up where moth and rust can't destroy it, thieves can't steal it. You know what the unshakable stuff is? Things that can't be taken from you, like a relationship with God. Do you have that? Do you have the unshakable relationship with Jesus Christ? If not, that's what God is speaking to you today. That's what he wants to say to you is you need my son, Jesus Christ as your savior. If you have that relationship, you know what? He's continuing to speak to us and give us unshakable things. His grace, unshakable. His love, unshakable. His mercy, unshakable. His forgiveness, unshakable. His church, unshakable. And giving you opportunities to be in that and to be used for that, to be able to store up treasure that will last for eternity. Unshakable stuff. 
but we get so caught up with the shakable. So he has a word to offer us, a word to speak to us, and that word really matters. But that's not the only thing that matters. You know what else really matters? The worship we offer him really matters. See, the worship we offer him really matters too. And that's what he says, the preacher here in verse 28, 29. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably. And so it's not just however we want. We don't just get to use whatever name we want. It's a specific way because he's an exclusive God because he's the only one like him and he's able to be that way. And so here's how he wants us to worship him with awe and reverence. And here's why. Because he is a consuming fire. And so here we see that the worship that we offer him, it really matters too. Not just the word that he offers us, but the worship that we offer him, it it matters, and it matters to him. And there's a reason why we should do it. It's because we're receiving continually. Did you notice that's present tense as well? We are receiving an unshakable kingdom. It's not you did receive an unshakable kingdom one time when you were a kid and they were doing the thing with children's church and you raised your hand. It's not you were on a retreat or you went to church one Sunday and you kind of fell all stirred up and you received, past tense, an unshakable kingdom. And so you are receiving currently, present tense, you're give, being given something. This is a season of giving, right? A season where we give gifts and you receive a gift and God's giving you a gift. It's his kingdom. You know what his kingdom is? It's the unshakable stuff, his forgiveness, his love, his grace, his mercy, his son, his word, his church. It's the life that he offers you. What a tragic thing if we missed it. That's the unshakable kingdom that you are currently, present tense, receiving. Because even once you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're continuing to receive more of his love, more of his grace, more of his mercy, more of his forgiveness. It's abundant. And he keeps giving it. And you keep receiving it as you continue to walk and throw off the things that hinder so you can have the unshakable stuff. But so many times we buy into getting the shakable. There's an illustration of this in Hebrews chapter 12. If you read the whole chapter, the author tells us, don't be like Esau. He is a man of the moment. And if you know Esau's story, it's, it's laughable and it's tragic. The guy trades his inheritance for a bowl of soup. And it's lentil soup, if you read the, the account. Do you know what that is? Look it up. It doesn't look real good to me, okay? It's basically, it's the beans, okay? That's the simplest way I can say it. Bean soup. Like, if you're going to trade your birthright, like, at least get some meat in there, right? I mean, unless you're a vegan or whatever. But anyway, get some, like, southern chili. Like, get something good, Beans? Esau, are you stupid? Like, that's the stuff I think when I'm reading the Bible. Like, are you kidding me? But then you back up, and it's because we have perspective we're able to say this. And you go, well, have I ever done this? And you know what happened for Esau is he lost perspective. He's in the moment. And we get in the moment, right? And we think to ourselves, oh, this isn't going to hurt anybody. It's just one time. God will forgive me. Or I'll just one night, and I'll just change the documents or whatever details we get into. It's just a click of the computer. I mean, come on, what can that hurt? It's just one time. It can't really be that addictive and all this stuff. And it's a lie. It's shakable stuff that we go after and we forfeit the unshakable for it. How ridiculous. You're given an unshakable kingdom. You're given a relationship with God. You, you worried about being alone? He'll never leave you or forsake you. You don't know what it is to be loved. He knows everything about you and he still loves you. You don't know what it is to receive forgiveness. He, he gives you that. Receive this unshakable kingdom. Some of you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior today. That's the word that God has for you. Some of you, you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. He's continuing to give you present tense, receiving the unshakable kingdom. You know the great thing about this kingdom? It can never be taken from you. 
It doesn't matter if cancer comes. It doesn't matter if you go to jail. It doesn't matter if your family dies. It doesn't matter. Everything that's important to you is taken away from you. This can never be taken from you. The passage that struck me over these last couple months has been Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, I am convinced that neither death nor life Angels, demons, the present, the future, any powers, not height, not depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Cancer, jail, earthquakes, tragedy, death, loss, theft. You've been around long enough. Something's been taken from you. A loved one, material possession, something's happened. This can never be taken. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have that? It's his love. Have you experienced that? It's his grace. It's his mercy. It's his forgiveness. It's the eternal blessings that he has in store for you when you listen to him as you take steps and he lets you make investments for eternity by impacting the lives of other people. That's the unshakable kingdom. He says, because you've received this unshakable kingdom, verse 28, since, here's the cause, You're receiving this unshakable kingdom. Here's the result. Here's what you should do then. Be thankful. Just like your mom taught you. You Anytime you get a gift, be thankful. But don't just be thankful. Do something. Worship. You know what's interesting about the word worship in verse 28? Does it have anything to do with music notes? No piano required. You don't have to have any skills in music. It doesn't have anything to do with music, in fact. The word worship actually means serve. And so what's essentially being said here is you have a king, he's giving you an unshakable kingdom, so serve your king. That's what the word is that he has for you. But it's specific into each one of our lives. And let me tell you something that's very important for you to grasp in serving your king. He doesn't want your money, doesn't need your money. He doesn't want or need your time. He does not need your life. He does not need your talents. He does not need anything that you possess. But what he wants to do is he wants to speak to you. See, he's totally self-sufficient. He needs nothing we offer, but he loves you, and we can love him because he first loved us. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, so we trust him, we begin a relationship with him, and he continues to speak to us. And he speaks to us every step of the way in every circumstance of our lives. And if I told you that in a couple weeks, after the service, what we're going to do is we're going to set up a tent out in the lobby. In fact, we're going to put it in the newspaper. God promised he's going to show up. He's going to speak to whoever steps inside that tent. A bunch of you'd think I was crazy, but let's pretend like it's going to happen, okay? We would have people lined up from this city waiting to go hear a word from God. But if I told you the way that God wants to speak to you is he's written you a love letter, a personal love letter. He wrote it 2,000 years ago, and it's called the Bible. You think, oh, yeah, yeah read the Bible. I mean, I'm busy. I read the Bible, read like a verse a day, keep the devil away, you know, get the whole deal down and all that stuff. And, but you don't really think he speaks to you, do you? I mean, speaking to you? And what we oftentimes do is we forget what the author of Hebrews has told us in this sermon. Towards the beginning, in Hebrews chapter 4, and verse 11, he says this, God's word is living and active. Yeah, it was written 2,000 years ago. It's dynamic. It's supernatural. It speaks right into your circumstances. It's amazing, the supernatural book that we can read that was written. There's some stories about people like 4,000, 6,000 years ago and read them and God speaks right into our lives today because his word speaks into all of our lives, our financial lives, our sex lives, our family lives, our relationship lives, our work lives, the church lives, all the stuff that we do. He speaks right into all those circumstances because his word is living and active and he wants to speak to you. So what's he saying? What's he saying to you today? He has a word. He is speaking now, currently. And we are receiving a kingdom currently. And so therefore, we should 
be obeying what our king tells us to do. And so what is the king saying to you today? See, it's kind of funny to talk about my pastor friend and him leaving his son at church and missing his son, but wouldn't it be tragic if we actually missed what God had for us, his son, Jesus Christ, and what he wants to speak to us this year? To God speaking to you, but do you hear him? What we're going to do as we conclude the service today is we're going to spend a couple moments just in prayer, and I want you to ask God to speak to you about whatever it is that's going on in your life. He will speak directly into our lives. A lot of times, a uh, storm on first service is kind of funny. I bet you God laughs at our Christian prayer meetings as we come together, and we think about the people that are involved, us and him. <laughs> and uh, he's eternal, so he existed before existence. Okay, wrap your mind around that for a second. And, and we're like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 70, 90 years old, right? And we have all the questions, and he has all the answers, and then we do all the talking. Is that kind of funny? <laughs> I mean, we have the questions, he has the answers, we talk the whole time. And so what we're going to do is something you might not get an opportunity to do very much in the month of December. We're just going to stop and we're going to listen and ask God to speak to us. And I'll start us. And some of you, what you need to do in this time is you need to trust Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And what you do by doing that is you confess your sin to him. So your sin is the very thing that's separating you from knowing Jesus Christ. But Jesus came to this earth. That's what the Christmas story is all about, that our Savior has been born to us. He came to this earth to save you from your sin, to rescue you from your sin, and give you a relationship with God the Father who wants to continue to speak to you and guide you throughout your whole life. And the way he did is he died on the cross for your sins. That was payment for your sins. That's how God's able to remain just and righteous and holy and still be merciful and gracious and loving is because of what happened at the cross. And then when he rose again from the dead, he offers you a gift, and that gift is eternal life. You need to receive that gift. Some of you, you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. You need to speak to him about specific things that are going on in your life. Ask him to speak into that. Let's pray. Father God, we just come to you and we ask you to come here and speak to us through your son, Jesus Christ. Let his blood cry out to us through your word. Put verses in our hearts and our mind. Speak to us through this passage even today. God, will you please speak into each one of our circumstances as we just pause and want to listen to you today, God. Please speak to us.